the case of nuclear or radiological fallout, people living around potential targets such as military bases and chemical plants may be advised to evacuate. Hello, Sublation Magazine readers, Sublation Media viewers, Sublated Subladers. <clears throat> it is I, Douglas Lane, returning from the fray, uh, from the Twitter battles that I've been engaging in over the last week. Uh, so if I look tired and disheveled today, which I think I do a little bit, that's why they've gotten to me again. Um, and this is... Ashley Farley. Uh, also, I have <laughs> dealt with the spillover <laughs> of Doug's Twitter battles because we mm. all know, I'm so sorry to say this, but we all know that when there's a pylon, if there's a woman available, we're going to pile on her. <laughs> so Doug was getting a bunch of crap for something. I don't know. He texted me and he said, oh, God, you know, my followers, blah, blah, blah. And I thought it was the same kind of, you know, you've been doing the disinformation thing for like two months. I was like, oh, it's so annoying. So I, I went on Twitter and I was like, Doug's followers are mad at him for thinking that perhaps government control of information might be a problem. Give him a follow. Oh, boy. <laughs> All of these vultures turn and they're like, fresh meat. And they came for me. And I didn't. And they're like, you liar. Why are you a liar? And I was like, well, I, Yeah, I mean, we're only really talking about a couple of people, really. And the truth is that... Um, you know, I, I stayed out. Uh, I had a few drink, too many drinks last night. That's why I looked disheveled. Um, but uh, the the uh, the the what what brought on the uh, onslaught from a few people, and, I, and maybe they had. I guess somebody had a lot of followers that came after you. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it was I had uh, texted or tweeted. I tweeted. I got to separate texting and tweeting. Um, that uh, the suppression of Matt Walsh's What is a Woman on Twitter demonstrated how Twitter was not going to be able to resist uh, the pressure from governments around the world, including the United States government, most likely, but certainly in this present moment from the EU, to join, rejoin the battle against disinformation. The EU had um, uh, given uh, Twitter an ultimatum which was that if they didn't rejoin uh, their disinformation uh, guidance board, um, they would be blocked from all of Europe. Twitter would be blocked. And I saw the change in leadership at Twitter, the new CEO, and the, the reversal of a decision to um, premiere Matt Walsh's What is a Woman movie as coinciding with this additional pressure from Europe. I, not that it was... To, you know, uh, not that the EU said don't show Matt Walsh's What is a Woman, but rather that the old uh, policies of Twitter were kind of slowly being reinstated uh, in an effort to bring back advertisers and to get in line with what the EU was demanding and what who knows might be being demanded of Twitter from within the, uh, the US government. Um, so that was my tweet. I said something along the lines of this shows that the disinformation war will eventually beat Twitter. Um, and th that made a lot of people angry. One, because I think they thought I was saying it was a great movie or something, um, or I was supporting Matt Walsh uh, in his political project. Because everyone you know, didn't go to high school, apparently, and never like learned the one debate line every 16-year-old learns, which is, <laughs> I condemn what you say, but I will fight to the death for your right to say it. Apparently, everyone's forgotten that. And but I think also they were mad about that. I didn't even see it. I didn't know I missed that because I was with my family. Um, so we can. Uh, so I missed this whole thing. <laughs> but I think they were mad and just were looking for somebody. They were mad about this documentary and they were kind of looking. It was the sort of wrong example to use because <laughs> they were out looking for blood. Yeah, um, in the United States, I don't know where Dusty48 is from, but I want to point out, to, since transphobia is not disinfo, it's bigotry. That's not the same thing. Um, and that's true. There, In the United States, um, hate speech is not illegal. Uh, mm -hmm. It is legally protected speech to, to uh, rise to the level of um, a threat and something that really is illegal. It has to be proximate in time and directed towards a group, a, a, a real group 
uh, not an abstract group and and uh you know immediate so like if you say um let's burn down all the houses of the billionaires that is legally protected speech if you say to a mob of people carrying torches let's burn down elon musk's house and they go immediately and burn down his house that is illegal speech um <clears throat> and so that so in the eu um the disinformation guidance board and the um overall uh control of in information uh, including with hate speech are kind of combined and the laws within the eu are different um so but the so like for instance ireland has much harsher laws uh, around hate speech than <clears throat> even the uk does i believe and what that means is that the most um draconian or the most uh far-reaching hate speech laws in the eu probably defines the eu standards so um so that's if you sound see right here let's burn down elon musk's house that's why <laughs> no but that would be legally protected speech because we're not proximate to his house being burned down in time there's not a a, a, a group of uh of people carrying torches so you're you're safe dr forbin from from legal penalty all right anyway so to be clear we're not talking about us being canceled obviously not we haven't been canceled um no the point that's got us kind of thinking about this desire to um suppress something and um generally the desire to kind of um use policy to suppress positions that may be really bad actually and that we don't want so I actually wound, so after I was getting a bunch of shit for a documentary I hadn't seen and didn't know anything about, um, I watched it. And here's the thing, like, why do we need to go back to gender essentialism? Like, it's not like hateful to put forward that argument, but it is kind of stupid. And, <laughs> and we don't need to do that. We don't need to say like, like okay, like sex is you know, biological, and it may or may not be immutable, depending on the state of our science as we move forward. Uh, at the moment, it appears to be, you know, more or less immutable. Um, but gender is how we decide to live with each other, right? It's every culture has all sorts of gender roles. And in particular, in our culture, our gender roles are loosening up, and it becomes less clear what it means. So what you have certain genitalia, but what does that mean? It doesn't determine who you're going to be and how you're going to live your life. Um, and we need to have an open conversation about that um, because, you know, we live in a pluralistic society. We have lots and lots of different groups that are going to disagree about things. Um, and if you think about, for example, the situation with abortion in, UK, in the UK. So abortion is famously a position issue. That is, the, all sides cannot agree on whether it even is a problem and what to do about it. And you have a kind of tacit agreement in current abortion law where nobody really gets exactly what they want, but they're more or less, there's this kind of mm, uh, tenuous kind of consensus or some bargaining <clears throat> happened um, where, you know, the people who are, who disagree with abortion are kind of satisfied that it is not really affirmed as a value uh, like you know, no questions asked, whatever, it's just on demand, that there are limitations and that it is controlled. So they're kind of satisfied with that. And the people who are, you know, think that abortion should be on demand and there shouldn't be any limitations and, you know, there's just, you know, trust women, all these sorts of things, they're kind of satisfied that you effectively can get abortion on demand, effectively. That's not exactly what the law says, though. So we have this kind of agreement that came about through bargaining. And what's happened toward the present is that in, on an increasing number of issues, we have decided that no bargaining and, is possible uh, and we can never reach a consensus. And those who disagree, are, and this is I'm talking about across the political spectrum here, those who disagree are groomers or they're pedophiles or they're whatever. And then on the other side, racists, bigots, whatever. 
And so there can be no consensus. It's all or nothing. And so this leads to, and this is what I wanted to talk about, what mm. Joseph Gusfield calls coercive policymaking. Um, so this is just basic kind of value conflict theory. If you go on Sublation uh, Media on our Patreon, I've got a lecture on, on value conflict theory. But there are three outcomes of debate in our contemporary democratic societies. As I've said, bargaining, consensus, or naked power. And if you've basically said you can have no bargaining and there can be no consensus, then the only other option is naked power. You just crush the opposition. You do everything that you can to crush the opposition, any kind of dissent. But the problem is, as Weber says, our societies and our pluralistic societies and so on, we, our policies have to have consensus around them. Um, sorry, legitimacy. They have to have some kind of legitimacy. And policies that are made through naked power tend to lack legitimacy. But if we've already agreed there can be no consensus, what happens is when the other side takes power, they just crush the other side. And so what you get is either the worst of all possible worlds, you know, you get the extreme of the right wing or you get the extreme of the left wing. There can be no middle ground. And what I think we need to do is calm the fuck down <laughs> and start talking to each other. Because one, one thing that I have noticed that is really bad is we're starting to move backwards on a lot of issues. Obviously, we know this has happened with abortion. Um, but on the trans issue, we have moved backwards. Like, do we really need to go back to biological essentialism? Right? It's like, it's like, it's either gender is a social construct. Um, and so is sex, apparently. I don't know. This is what happened in that documentary, that they, were, they weren't able to just kind of make that distinction. They were all dancing around it. Um, or, <laughs> like, it is determined from birth, you know, and who you're going to be is just determined, and you're locked in that box, which nobody wants either. And also, it doesn't make any sense, because that's not how we're living now. It's not, you know, our gender roles have loosened up, as I said. Mm -hmm. So this is the situation in which we find ourselves at the moment, where mm -hmm. one side, you know, one side takes power and they're doing things like, oh, we're going to take the kids away of people who, who want to have gender affirming care. And then it's like, we're going to take the kids away of the people who don't want it. You know what I mean? They're just like, <clears throat> we're going to go in there and do the most extreme things. This is bad for everybody. Like I saw, I, I saw, um, who is it? Debbie, is it Debbie Haywood? Oh, God, I got to keep forgetting her darn name. But anyways, you know, quite a level-headed person who's willing to wade into these debates at, at great personal risk. And I was watching a, like a public debate and people were calling her a he. And and they were like, and, and someone said, well, why, why do that? And they're like, well, we have an obligation to tell the truth. Like, what are you talking about? What When it comes to this, when it comes to society, truth is, I'm sorry to say, truth is a moving goalpost. Like the truth of something mm -hmm. <laughs> we have to work out. Right. Like gender roles have to be worked out as a society. We have to decide how we're going to live out these roles and what, what positions we're going to play in this whole game. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, I, I need to tell the truth about what someone's genitalia are. And that's going backwards, backwards, even to what the tacit consensus was in the past 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah. Uh, which was if you kind of passed, then you were treated as the opposite sex. And now it's like, no, we have to have this essentialist kind of outlook. And I think mm -hmm. we've got to be able to talk to each other because things like this are happening. You know, there has to be some sane middle ground. Um, otherwise, we're just crushing each other. And this is not good. I mean, the whole topic is one where to wade into it risks making people who have very strong opinions about it very, very angry at you. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, you just said, well, if you pass, then you should be treated like a woman. And I, I didn't say to know that, that was the tacit agreement in society. The other side of that is that it's not good to force somebody to have to go through medical transitions and stuff. Right. Like, that's right, not right. Good. I'm not, I know. I'm just saying I happen to know that 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 is a, you know, a very hot uh, button topic within the trans community. I know enough to know that and whether or not you should aim it passing or not or you know within the trans community my understanding is there's divisions and around those kinds of topics um but the the the, the major point is that we need to be in a, a politics and negotiation i mean we as people on the left we have to be we're we do not have the power to crush 
the capitalist class at the moment, <laughs> right? Yeah. We do not have the power, uh, you know, to even crush opposition to, uh, for instance, free speech. Um, I, we, we, I can't just, you know, cancel the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, you know, I'd like to, but I can't. <laughs> Um, so, so I have to be able to negotiate. I have to be able to, uh, listen and, and, and try to convince uh, a lot of people about the dangers that I see if I'm going to change the, the society that I'm in. Um, I know that yeah, we, and the thing is, when people ahead. will say like, uh, my identity should not be up for debate. Yeah, it sucks. It definitely sucks. It sucks that like you had to fight a war to end slavery. And it sucks that the most downtrodden in society had to be enlisted to fight in that war. That's shit, man. But that's kind of how we are progressing in our shitty society. <laughs> like, that's what we all have to do. I remember I was on like uh, BBC Big Questions once and there was like this priest sitting in the front row. And uh, he was like, how dare you, Ashley? How dare you outsource, you know, um, the fight for a better world to the working class? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, <laughs> that... How is that outsourcing? You're so used to it being outsourced to NGOs and stuff. You have completely lost the idea. Well, he probably never had it to begin with, but of this idea of, of revolution as the self-emancipation of the working class, right? The self-emancipation of the working class. I don't want to have to do that. I, I, it's, it's a shame, a horrible shame that probably these sorts of things will involve a lot of fighting and so on. Um, but that's, that's what we have to do. That's the task. You know, that Lenin wrote in his wonderful obituary of Engels, you know, they talking about socialists of his day or remarks in Engels time. And he says they dreamt of a socialism without struggle. This is kind of where we are now. We think that if we just kind of, we, we you know, maneuver correctly, we can have a socialism without struggle. But that's not how it works. And even, you know, you might say revolution is naked power. Yes, it's probably the best example of naked power. But even revolution isn't just crushing the other side it certainly is <laughs> well, that's a large part of it but you know marx writes even in the communist manifesto marx and engels write that a portion of the capitalist class will see which way the wind is blowing and sort of peel off and and join what is a progressive what is the the progressive step for wealth production and and the future of humanity even when uh we moved from feudalism to capitalism Capitalists had to um, settle accounts with the old feudal order. Yes, of course, there was the French Revolution and the terror and all that sort of thing. But there was also a lot of negotiation and a lot of, you know, buying off the old ruling class to allow things to continue. That's how any kind of mature politics has to carry forward. Because what's happening now is, yes, you might win a, certain, a victory for a short period of time, but the policies, if you have not convinced people, if they're not the result of, of any kind of, of struggle on the part of society, they will lack legitimacy. And when people encounter them for the first time, they're going to be shocked. Um, and they, there may be a pushback. And so we have to have a struggle in society for that legitimacy that will underpin these policies as we move forward. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And um, I, I think that it's important to uh remind ourselves how society actually functions and how change happens rather than uh commit ourselves to positions um you know in an all or nothing manner uh you know just because when you do that second thing what you're really aiming at doing is making yourself feel good maybe or make yourself look good also it gives you an ability to justify targeting individuals for uh, insults or attempted cancellations or or things along those lines but it does not actually move uh the majority of people forward and in, into a collective project of of politics um which is what we're we're hoping to accomplish uh you know i think that the one big difficulty today is that you mentioned that priest who said you know how dare you off source or outsource, I'm sorry, um, this onto the working class, the, the, the responsibility to change society onto the working class. And the assumption was the people who are responsible, I guess, would be MPs or uh, or, or uh, professionals or maybe academics. Um, uh, and the, 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 which is essentially 
saying we expect change to come from the powerful. That's who has the responsibility and the obligation to run society for us in our interest. Um, and you know, Gene put it, pointed out that <clears throat> the idea that most of the left has is that their task is to make complaints to the state and basically ask to see the manager over and over and over again <laughs> um, uh, so that they can change the policies of the establishment um, enough that they can tolerate it, I guess. And the actual goal is to create a political uh, life in a society where the everyday people, where, you know, the working class and the masses run society um, cooperatively with each other. Well, here's the thing. They do it because it works, right? They appeal to corporations and appeal to the managers and so on because it works or it has worked at least up until now. Um, but as I said, and, and like I just finished a report on this, man, I got railed just for like being adjacent to someone who mentioned a documentary. <laughs> I am about to get fucking eviscerated because <laughs> I just finished a report for the evil MCC about precisely this and I, where I go through this process of how policymaking has transpired via covert means. And um, what happened was that once people, you know, they specifically like sought to change policy. So people who were activists for a much expanded idea of gender, because gender had been a shorthand for women for a very long time, and then gradually began to expand to mean all sorts of other things. Um, but the fact that gender was already institutionalized became a way for people with much more expanded views to make headway in policy. And there were explicit statements from these sort of lobby groups that the more you keep it away from the public, the more success you're going to have. Um, and that the public was kind of ignorant. Um, and um, But the thing is that if you think of like the ideal of democracy in sort of a cliched sense, it's that you change people's minds in order to change policy. What was going on was that they wanted to change policy to change people's minds. And um, again, it was very effective. So they did manage, they managed to institutionalize a much expanded understanding of gender um, in this way. But again, it lacks legitimacy. So when people experience it on the ground, people who might have been quite open to it, like if you look at surveys, people are open to the idea of people just live your life as you wish. But then there are certain little areas of tension where there's less certainty. Right. These are the things that kind of need to be discussed and debated. I mean, to find a kind of some kind of middle ground, um, you know, people saw this and they, they perceived it as being kind of forced on them. And um, there was a lot of pushback there. So you had groups organizing in opposition and that's normal in society. You have groups that will you know, you want the smoothest path to policymaking is if you can construct your issue as a valence issue, as, as positively balanced. There's just no negative here. It's just a no-brainer. And that's what activists did. They went straight to policymakers on the back of um, uh, gay marriage and so on, the success of, of LGB movements. And they were like, this is the same thing. And as you're passing this kind of policy, it's just a no-brainer. This is it's just an extension of this. Um, uh, so they packed it as kind of valence issue. And what you don't want is to attract any kind of opposition, but it happens um, and groups will organize in opposition. But there, and, and through a kind of struggle and debate, we can sometimes, you know, bargain or reach a consensus. Um, but their, their decision was made early on that there could be no consensus, that there could, that there was nothing could be dropped. Um, and, but that's not totally accurate. Like in some countries like in Ireland, there were, there was a little bit of, you know, give and take. Um, but, and it, and, but activists like expressly lamented this, like, okay, now it's going to take years to get what we want. But that's kind of how policymaking works. Like activists will often start with something that's a lot more extreme than people are ready for. And then they get the first thing and then they use that as, you know, okay, let's push it a little bit further. Let's push a little bit further. It's not necessarily anything wrong with that. Um, but they kind of saw that as a bad thing, as a kind of lamentable thing. It was all or nothing. And this led to a lot of um, negative kinds of situations. So it, they do it because it's successful. It works. It worked mm -hmm. for them to get these policies in place. But the problem is that it's, it's um, these, as I keep saying, these policies lack legitimacy. People were like shocked when, you know, one of the tactics was to kind of um, use inroads into sex education, 
where teachers were kind of like, er, didn't really want to deliver it. Um, and so NGOs and, and um, NGOs and, and certain activist groups could go in and give the sex education, which was tailored in the ways that they wanted it. The thing is, it was a big mistake because sex education is famously, famously a position issue. Long before any of this sort of expanded understandings of gender that are a little bit at variance, some of them are a little bit at variance with sort of norms that are exist in, in certain societies, particularly in like Eastern Europe. Um, uh, this became like <laughs> a huge, a huge problem because sex education was is is so controversial. And so now you've made it even more controversial. Uh, and so when people came across this for the first time, often when their children were talking about it, they became very mad. And like they would have been mad anyway because sex education is already already a hot topic, right? Mm -hmm. So this is kind of the issue that we have now. And now I think we're at a point now where a lot of this stuff is we're, we're pushing to other extremes. So it was like, we can't have any consensus. So it's like, fine. Uh, I want this, you know, no sex education, you know, mm. that's, that's not good either. <laughs> so we, we have the extremes and that's it. And everybody's just trying to crush each other and nobody wins in this game. Who, people who just want to live their lives <laughs> like, mm. as they please are now finding it much more difficult and it's just getting ratcheted up, ratcheted up. And it's like all or nothing. This is well, really bad. <laughs> Um, I had someone on Facebook ask me if I would prefer that they're rather than having um, this movie, What is a Woman, su suppressed, if I would prefer to to establish a trans bill of rights so that uh, <clears throat> people like Matt Walsh would no longer be relevant, that just wouldn't be an, 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 an issue because it would be established constitutionally, I, I, I guess that certain rights simply were granted to all of society um, around issues of gender and, and, and transition. And I'm not sure uh, what should be in the Trans Bill of Rights, but I do think that there are aspects within a Republican, Democratic, bourgeois society that have to be... Um, protected uh, from the majority even you know even a democratic majority for instance you wouldn't want to have <clears throat> um, a vote on whether or not everyone should receive due process or whether or not certain crimes were so heinous that they didn't uh, that th those who were accused of them no longer had the rights to due process you wouldn't want to bring that to a vote that this is a fundamental principle protecting all the all individuals in society and and um, or you wouldn't want to have bring it to a vote w about whether certain things should be censored that uh, don't rise to the level of threats or fraud or uh, obscenity and so forth, but just because they are the wrong thing. You wouldn't want to have that be brought to a democratic vote. Um, that there are aspects of society which are kind of uh, established through. Um, I guess governing bodies uh, to protect minorities and all the way down to individuals uh, in the society. That's so I, I can see why trans people would want to establish their civil rights on that basis rather than um, in this long process of convincing a majority that they should have those rights. Well, even that would require. A bill of rights, even that would require something so huge, would require mm -hmm. some debate and consensus on the part of society. I actually don't think that's a bad idea because mm -hmm. we'd have to work out some of these issues that we're having. And people say, like, oh, there was a question here, like, why should sex education be an issue? I, I don't think it should be an issue, but it fucking is. Okay. <laughs> like, because some groups in society think that it is. And they're because very... people are religious. People have, you know, actually, it makes sense. Sex is a very fraught subject. It has, even within the most progressive liberals, there are all sorts of concerns around sexual morality. They, they yeah, like there's all sorts of like, and we're like, oh, it's no big deal. We just want blah blah blah. But there's so much that we have to talk about. Like, 
Okay, mm-hmm. age of consent. That's that's really fucking tricky because anytime that you do, you put like an age down, then you create all sorts of arbitrary problems of arbitrariness, right? Like, oh, it's like the the eve of my 18th birthday. All these kinds of things come into it's. Th- these are tricky issues. They're real, real difficult. They're hard. And just to like wave your hand and say, oh well, we just want blah blah blah. I'm afraid. Sorry, but once you get down to the nitty gritty of social policy and law and so on, it does get to be quite tricky that there are all sorts of cases that will come up that challenge what we think is real just it's just a real simple thing it's just a real simple thing it's no big deal yeah I understand why you want to frame it that way because it allows you to get exactly what you want but as time goes on we're going to push people are going to push around the edges because society is messy life is messy there are all sorts of things I wish were not a problem I wish were not issues I wish that we could just move forward with them but they are And people think that they are in their groups in society who feel threatened for better or for worse, right or wrong. And we have to find a way through. Like, as I told you with with abortion policy, if it was all or nothing, we'd be fucked. Every time a government changed, we'd be fucked because they would just crush the other side. We have Mm -hmm. a kind of, and this is what's happening in the United States right now, Mm -hmm. right? The people just come into power and they just take the most extremes and start crushing each other. It's good for nobody. At least in the UK, we have a semblance of a functioning abortion policy. Now, people are still fighting about it. Absolutely. And these things will go on. And we might end up with something worse as a result of that. I fully accept that. But that's what we have to do in a society where people hold lots of different values, come from lots of different backgrounds, and there are lots of different interests at play. I know that this is a very liberal thing that I am saying, but this is realistic because this is the world that we live in. Mm. Yeah. And... um. That gives me a nice segue back into my pet uh, uh, topic, which is, uh, you know, free speech and disinformation. Um, One of the things that we have to accept in a society of based on equality and um, cooperation and and democracy and and those kinds of. I hear people uh, screaming, we don't really have equality. Sorry. Yeah. But when you aim at equality, um, and you aim at democracy and self uh, responsibility uh you know individually and collectively you have to create conditions where the truth can be debated if you leave the truth to elites whether they're the, the truth is determined by a priest or a king or an ngo then you're what you're doing is you're uh, handing over your responsibility to understand how the world works and what should happen to those bodies what you know whether that's again king or a priest or or an ngo and you know we uh, what we presume on the left i think is if the progressives are in power then they and because there's some sense of shared values between uh people who are consider themselves on the left and the democratic party say people who run based on bringing these people you know basically based on creating a coalition of different groups um and promising them that they do rep you know they'll represent those values uh we we presume that that we no longer have the responsibility to work out uh with others what the consensus should be and we presume that our values will always rule the day that that those things will that will will be able to you know always sway the progressive state uh eventually into our favor certain you know especially if we crush the opposition if we you know kill off the republican party and only have the democrats in power then the progressives will always have uh, the you know the upper hand the progressive people will always have the upper hand and we'll have a much better better society uh, for everyone that's the idea I think but the truth is the capitalist state has its own logic the capitalist state has its own agenda the capitalist state is not there primarily to serve the public and to enact your values it's there to manage the crisis which is called capitalism and because of it, that obligation by the the capitalist state it will change and move in multiple directions and and reverse itself based on what's needed by the capitalist class and and the overall you know society so you have 
you're you're trusting this monstrous machine to serve you uh and in reality you're only serving it so yeah so now people are in the chat are are saying what are you talking about this is the tyranny of the majority just because something is the majority doesn't mean that it's necessarily true that's not what i'm saying i'm not saying that the majority of people have to say something what i'm saying is that we i'm taking a very pragmatic approach and i have in my mind ken and malik's um quest for a moral, moral compass where he goes through in like a thousand pages, I think, seemed like a thousand pages, <laughs> um, where he goes through like this fact that we gradually, that humanity is searching for a moral compass that can just give us the truth, that can just tell us, light the way. And for most of human history, tradition did that, religion did that. It was like, well, why do this? Because that's the way that people do things. Why do this? Because God said so. And gradually these kinds of bonds have withered away. And we are left kind of forced to face the fact that there's nothing there to first stop us from doing horrific things and two, to give us a moral compass that is unquestionable, that is unquestioned. And at the end of the book, he, he makes an, a, a case for pragmatism. And he says, we have to agree on certain things because they allow us to live together. So it doesn't mean that whoever's in the majority can just crush the other side. Or if you just win a majority, then you've won everything. It means that we have to find a way to live together <laughs> without thinking, well, gee, the world would be a lot better if we could just delete these individuals. <laughs> They're like, that's not the good, if you, if you have to think that, we're, we're going the wrong direction here. Okay, we have to find some consensus in a pluralistic society that allows us, and it means that nobody necessarily gets everything that they want, right? The abortion issue again both sides are pretty unhappy with the result and yet pragmatically it functions to a certain extent and there's a lot of debate and so on that try to like push this forward right this is all that i'm arguing for <laughs> well and here's the thing like these objections about the tyranny of the majority i think need to be taken up and uh examined um uh, I don't I, I do think there's a contradiction within just the flat uh, democratic principles um, and we should think it think them through. But uh, even if we don't believe that what's ultimately going to be the way that society works in a socialist sense, that is, you know, even if we think socialism will will transcend the concept of democracy, what we have to admit is that we are aiming at creating a world where everyone has the power to think for themselves, speak for themselves, and produce in a way that that it uh, serves them as well as the whole. Uh, and however that works out, whether it's you know uh, through consensus or through some other mechanism, that should be something that we hold on to because the aim is to emancipate individuals and the society as, as a whole. Um, I want to, can I quickly uh, address something that came up earlier, a comment that I, I've just been itching to, to talk to here, uh, speak to. Um, Rumco, this is way back about the EU and uh, the way that disinformation uh project in the eu is being run and he says that you know it's not true that every country will be having to follow those you know the laws of the most extreme uh country um each one has its own jurisdiction and will you know uh, you, the police will will uh enforce the laws of that country and not of the eu as a whole and that's true um however when it comes to disinformation one of the things that the EU stipulates is that they are not tasked with enforcing laws, but with uh, controlling speech. So the speech that's being targeted is by and large defined as legally protected speech um, by the EU. So they're acting uh, extra legally. They're, you know, they're illegally, I would say, uh, often enough, depending on the country. But that, but what, um, what I also think is true is that the, even in the United States, um, hate speech has been rolled in with the disinformation campaign, given that it isn't, uh, that the whole uh, effort is breaking with the Constitution. 
the fact that hate speech is legally protected in the United States doesn't really have a bearing. Um, but and I also do think that they would look to, uh, you know, countries in the West with the most um, draconian speech laws to kind of set the standards for what constitutes the legally protected hate speech that they're nonetheless going to censor. Um, that's just my understanding. From the thing is, like the, the EU doesn't have competence in certain areas, right? And they, the thing is that they know that and they lament it. <laughs> so what they will often do is they will have directives that are aimed to kind of nudge countries. So they tend to do things in, in underhanded ways. Um, and then they will um, punish countries that don't follow these things. So this is happening now, obviously, with Hungary, <laughs> where because they've taken these super extreme kind of responses to a lot of this stuff, they're now doing all sorts of things to kind of, you know, essentially sanction them or um, to discipline them in certain ways. So, you know, this is the thing, like people are, are kind of obsessed with like, well, unless there's like a formal thing, and in a lot of cases there is, but unless there's like a formal statement that says X, then it's not happening. No, these things happen in a lot of underhanded ways. So there's like, they'll use all sorts of things like rule of law, um, but it's, it's, also selective. So um, Macron will go on and on about the rule of law, but then when it suits him to uh, raise the retirement age, he um, uh, evokes certain article, invokes certain articles so that he can get around precisely the rule of law. And it doesn't matter because he follows the line. He toes a certain line that the EU wants. And we have to understand too, like a lot of people see the EU as like this bastion of rights. Like again, because we've kind of, we have this idea that those in power, we just have to like speak to the manager and then they'll gift our rights to us. That's not mm -hmm. how these things happen. The, you know, we fought for a shorter working week, all these sorts of things. Um, so they see the EU as like, oh, this like protectorate, but they are the neoliberal institution par excellence. And a lot of what they do is dressed up in social justice language, but it's, per and I've talked about this before, but its purpose is to, is ultimately economic. I mean, that's obviously its whole purpose since the beginning is mm. economic union. And they get involved in all these, this social stuff, even though they don't have competency there, um, competence there. Uh, and they get involved in all this stuff because at the end of the day, and they dress it up like, oh, we're, you know, it's about, uh, European values. We need to make sure that people hold European values. We need to do all these things. Um, but like they want um, dual earner households, for instance, they they need to push people into precarious forms of work they otherwise would not want to take. And in particular, they need women to work. And that's their whole growth model. And so they dress it up in like gender equality and smashing gender norms. <laughs> but their goal is to make it really fucking uncomfortable should you make the wrong choice, the wrong choice that is to stay at home and take care of your children if you are a woman. Now, I'm not saying that that's a choice that you should make, but it's a choice that many women wish to make. And in particular, that many women wish to make in a cultural context that pisses on women if they fuck up, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so you, you're, you're like, there's this um, this tension that Sharon Hayes talks about in The Cultural Contradictions of Motherhood, a very famous book from 1996, where she talks about how you have these, uh, in capitalist society, women have, or parents generally, especially now parents, have this um, dual, these dual poles. You're supposed to be 100% an intensive worker. That is, you should be completely and totally dedicated to your job and to extend this. The, it's not something that she says, but I'm extending this, like the, the measure of feminism is how many female CEOs you have, that sort of thing. And on the other hand, you must also be an intensive mother. That the huge, like parenting, or sorry, family policy has generally collapsed um, with the overtake of neoliberalism and policy from the 1990s onward. Family policy has collapsed into parenting, parents and child policy where the family becomes this, the purpose of the family is to meet a number of key performance indicators, <laughs> KPIs, right? So like you are tasked with employability, like you have to create employable subjects that will have all of these skills. It's about skill building and so on. Um, and so that becomes also your intensive responsibility and any, any problems 
that not any problems, but a huge range of problems in society get blamed on parents and the family. And so in that context, as a woman, you're like, well, I can't. <laughs> and so women will will opt for one side or the other. They will say, well, I'm not going to have children. I'm going to focus on my career 100% or I'm going to focus on being a mother 100%. And the EU is is trying to do all sorts of things to like force by diktat um, that you opt for both, that you have to do both. And if you don't do both, your life is going to be really hard and really uncomfortable for you. Yeah. Um, the the uh, the the underlying point that I was trying to raise with disinformation was was that um, in in this particular case, it is admitted that controlling disinformation um, online is not a matter of law, uh, but is some sort of social regulation being spearheaded by the EU and in Europe and by Department of Homeland Security um, in the United States, and actually probably by intelligence agencies and individual nations in Europe as well. Um, but the, 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 the key to it is that Accidentally, if you read their documents, they do admit again and again that uh, the effort to uh, control and combat, uh, control information and combat disinformation is uh, an attack on, on free speech. Um, it, it has to be. And uh, in the EU, it has to be for a number of reasons, one of which is exactly the, the, because each member nation has its own jurisdiction and, and ability to enforce law separate from and and instead of the EU. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I, uh, the bureaucracies always sort of operate in these, you know, less than transparent ways. Uh, and, you know, and part of the point of that is to keep the riffraff from having a say, keep making sure that the only the you know the clean and polite and educated uh, rulers or leaders or elite um, will be involved in the most important decision making that goes on. It is a technocratic. You're quite right. It's like a neoliberal technocratic institution. Um, the you know the tech, technocracy is in the United States as well. Uh, through these NGOs and within the bureau bureaucracy of, of the state, um, including the intelligence agencies. And uh, I think the one of the biggest enemies of the socialist project is the technocracy, that, given that it is uh, the ruling uh, class right now, the technocrats rule. Um, they, they rule in service to capital. But they do rule, and our aim is to overturn capital, um, and that means overturning turning the power of the technocracy. And of course, it's not like um, surprising that the EU is the institution that does this, because that was part of why these sorts of institutions at that level were set up precisely mm -hmm. to insulate policymakers from the hoi polloi. <laughs> I've only seen this word written down. I've said it out loud. I'm a fucking idiot. I hope I said it right. Yes, you said it right. <laughs> I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> anyway, to institute like to to insulate people um precisely from that, that 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 again, I think one of the I say this all the time, but I need to drive this home, like the saddest legacy of the Second World War was that uh, Nazism was an overflow of democracy. That and, and as I say, this is what the fascists said. That's what the fascists said, that democracy was an illusion, that the people were just being led by a, a demagogue, and they think that they're thinking clearly, but they're not. A thousand empty heads imagine that they're thinking, blah, blah, blah. All right, that's that's what they thought. And this is the legacy. We basically said, yeah, the fascists were right. Um, and so you need to uh, you need to insulate democracy from the masses. And this is the irony, right? Like for democracy to function, you just have to like get rid of those pesky people. Um, and so this is why these institutions, part of the reason these institutions were set up to save themselves from the masses so that this sort of thing wouldn't happen again. But of course, like there were some segments of society that went along with um, 
uh, fascism, but it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't a mass movement of the working class. And this is what people, particularly, I don't know why, but in American society, this is really hegemonic. That's what people think. And so anytime that you have, like anytime that you have any kind of working class um, uprising, it's like scary and unwashed and it's going to lead to fascism because that's the lesson that people took. Someone asked um, in the chat, no, not that one, this one. Uh, so what about trans and LGBTQ people in, in China? Clearly a technocracy is China trying to geno uh, genocide on them. Um, and I'm not really wanting to address Chinese policy. I do think that China is far less um, uh, open and more likely to prosecute or persecute um, people for, for their uh, sexual orientation than the United States is. That's at least my impression. Uh, but the question of uh, trans and LGBTQ rights, um, I, I feel as though it should be able to be swept up in a protection of universal rights that, that ultimately, you know, the uh, rights of uh, individuals uh, to have their own private sexual lives and uh, to determine their own mode of dress and their own uh, expression should be universal. And it doesn't have to be in, in that when we think about the oppression of LGBTQ or trans people, we should think of that as the oppression of uh, of us, of the of the of the public in general, of, of every day of our own rights. Um it, they, these aren't separate from the rights of society as a whole or individuals. Uh, it, these are the rights uh, that individuals should demand. And um, which is why it's not important to me whether or not a trans person is really a woman uh, in some essential way or is actually driven by um, certain sexual orientation to dress in a particular way or uh you know it doesn't matter it, the the fact is that the individual has the right to wear a dress if they want to or wear pants if they want to to modify their body to the way that in, in the way that they'd like to um to call to rename themselves if they'd like to wear their hair long or short um and any state that wants to intervene on that level and control uh, how people conceive of themselves and, and operate in the world on that level is, uh, you know, a, a smashing the rights of everyone in the process. And that's how I think about it. Yeah. But of course, like there are some issues here <laughs> yeah. that still need to be worked out right so this is this is the issue that some groups feel that there are contradictions and what's interesting is that this was um was a controversy within lgbt iq which is what the, the acronym that the eu uses and is a simpler one to use as a shorthand but there were some controversies all the way you know going back to the 90s into the early 2000s where um lg L, it was just sort of an lg movement well it was a gay rights movement and then um gay began to refer more to men so then um people started to use the word lesbian um and then you had bisexuals and that was a little bit controversial um within sort of the existing gay rights community but that was worked out and it so it became lgb and then um when um the trans sort of issue began started to or at least um, activists started to um, move up the agenda or that that issue began to move up the agenda, at least within those movements in the 90s, there was some uncertainty and into the early 2000s. So there was a piece of legislation in the United States, for instance, that would have been the first legislation to um, uh, actively enshrine the rights of lesbian, gay and bisexual people. And uh, what caused and it was it was pretty strong likelihood that it would finally be passed after 30 years. And um, there was a bit that was tacked on, not tacked on, but incorporated into the policy about gender. And this caused it to be stalled in the American courts. And there was controversy within that, within the LGBTIQ community that said, well, look, you know, this is something that people have been fighting for for 30 years, and now it's effectively being vetoed. 
Um, and there may be a contradiction here in that um, LGB is about sexuality and sexual orientation, but TIQ is about gender and, and sex. These are these are different things. How, okay, can you? I'm sorry, I'm going to be. So, so I'm saying that this was a controversy that was existing within these communities. Yeah, I know, but I, I'm going to ask you a really. And in, the, in the 2015, there were some trans he groups is, that even he is wanted trans. To he is trans, right? I is intersex. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah, sorry, intersex yeah. and queer. And then. What is queer pointing to that T and I doesn't point to? And why is there a need for I as well as T? Uh, I guess intersex well, are people because... who are born uh, with uh, their sexual, their, their they might, they might have like hermaphrodites, basically. Is that intersex? Is that what we're talking about? Um, yes. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, I'm such a <laughs> boomer here with this. So that's I. Um, and then what's what is Q pointing to? I don't understand why there's an so queer is like um, I, and again there's some controversy about this because there are some people in the gay community who and and it's mainly like uh, LGB alliance I think that has raised an issue with this that um, queer has come to become a stand-in for lesbian, gay, and bisexual, um, so but it's a much it's a much more expanded kind of concept. And, and I want to make it clear. I'm just like sort of setting out what so the debate it, has been so it's the like, last like 30, 40 years. LGB, uh, LBG, uh, well, I don't remember now even the order of this, but the lesbian, gay, and bisexuals are the beginning of this. Then there's the tr transsexual or transgender, and then the intersex. And then there's L lesbian, gays, and bisexuals again in queer at the end. Is that right? Is that yeah, but it's me? more, it, it can also include people who are, for all intents and purposes, heterosexual. Um, oh, so right. I, so I, think, I remember, I'm one of yes. those. I'm, I'm a sapiosexual, and that makes me Q. <laughs> that, um, so, so, yeah, okay, now I get it. Okay, let's move on. So. Yeah. Anyways, um, so that in in even as late as 2015, there were trans groups, or you know maybe some individuals even, <laughs> mm. who um, argued that they wanted to sort of separate from LGB because their concerns were different. Um, and so there's there's this even there's sort of controversy even within these um, within these groups um, about there being potentially different sort of things going on. So when it comes to rights and like universal rights there are different things that we kind of need to work out because mm. there are um existing kinds of tensions and you might say well it's not that big of a deal so one is about sexuality and one is about gender until you kind of go and try to live in the world and then you come up with some potential issues um and this is what some uh lesbian gay and bisexual people have started arguing and now of course uh, we're in this situation where there can be no controversy and there's a complete denial that there is any controversy and these people are just assholes. <laughs> um, then there's, you know, you, you can't really have any uh, debate around that, but there are certainly some groups in society who feel as though there are, and of course, I, you know, the elephant in the room is the women's groups who feel that there's a tension between sex and gender. Um, so this is like ratcheting up, right? Like it just gets ratcheted up. And people become more and more and more and more extreme. And I think that there probably is a sane middle ground that we could find. Um, and, and someone said, like, in the comments, they gave an example of a policy. And they said, well, that was undemocratic and, you know, historical policy that just was an, an example of naked power and that it was effective. And I agree. There are some cases in which naked power is exercised. And we kind of agree that's a good thing. <laughs> As a society, we've kind of said, yeah, it's good that we went through that. But I think in this situation, the point that I'm trying to make is that it's not working and it's leading to really bad outcomes. Um, it's leading to people becoming more and more extreme and entrenched. And this is it's becoming clear that things might er erupt in violence. And, and that, again, that's one way of resolving a difficulty <laughs> like naked power can er erupt in violence. It can be. You know, it can be literally crushing the other side. But if we would like to avoid that, um, <laughs> I think that we could probably try to find some 
bargaining like we could bargain you know some not everybody's going to get exactly what they want but we will be able to live together more effectively i think than we are now where yeah, everybody's lost I, their I, money. yeah i i <laughs> agree with you that we should be able to try to come to a consensus we should make allowances for uh you know the middle age i i really hope that you guys will make allowances for middle-aged cisgendered white guys like me when i ask questions like why is the q on there again um uh and you know i know how that reads but nonetheless um i do think that we need to be able to to try to come to a consensus about this without trying to crush the other side all the time especially given that i think that overall most um uh let's just say gay activists, lesbian activists say, do not want to create a society of uh, strict gender roles or that's going to be oppressive to people who express their um, sexuality or, or, uh, or, or gender conception differently. I don't think there's anything uh, intrinsic to uh, the movement for lesbian rights um, that, means that they have to smash uh the expression of other uh orientations and um that that it, it seems like that i i'm the contradiction i i mean i guess the contradiction comes up where um some trans women will will define themselves as lesbian uh as an example um and uh cisgendered lesbians don't like that um but really how big of a problem is it to to tell someone who's a trans woman you're not that kind of lesbian that you're more you know like how big how how much more difficult is it than telling a straight guy that you're not into him you know i i i i don't think it i don't know i just seems like that's the kind of thing that people will just have to cope with in in life um uh and and so anyway that's where I'll, I'll leave that yeah i mean there's a part of it is this um railing against any kind of discrimination and what is more discriminatory than sex right like you 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 discriminate when you choose a sexual partner and um and i like i, I understand people who feel like really hurt by that absolutely like to live out your life as a woman and then be rejected for something that you can do nothing about, I understand that is really painful. Um, but like relationships are painful and messy in exactly that way. And part of growing up is accepting that, I think, I, I, even though I have an enormous amount of compassion for that situation, in the same way that I have enormous amounts of compassion for people who are unable to find partners just generally for all sorts of reasons. Um, but there was um, someone mentioned in the uh, comments. Oh, I've lost it now. But um, uh, that um, you know, if if gender or what was it? If if sex is a social construct, then nobody's is gendered or something like that. Um, and this was actually something that came up in the second half of the conversation that I had with James Lindsay. <laughs> Mm -hmm. where he started to sort of rail against social constructionism. And I'm someone who uses social constructionism in my own work. Mm -hmm. And the point that I made there was that even if everything is a social construct, or like at least in the in the realm of, of language, right? Obviously, you know, we have to, <laughs> just by virtue of like being sounds with reference, like they are constructed in a product of consensus. Um, and but even if you want to like point to something firm, like I get that, right? Like everything seems up in the air, all that is solid melts into air. We we search for something firm. And so people will search for biology. People do this all the time across the political spectrum. There's it's not it's a caricature to say that leftists are like um social constructionists. In fact, I find this really funny because leftists get accused all the time of saying truth and knowledge are socially constructed. But those people that were attacking me were calling me a stupid liar. And I was like, on what basis? On what basis can I be a stupid liar? If they live in a world where everything is socially constructed and I live in a world where everything is real. <laughs> Put me in it. Anyways, but even if it were the case that everything is socially constructed, like, so what? Like, we have to, you know, even our biology, in fact, part of the reason why we're having this debate 
is biology exerts far less of a deterministic um, uh, influence on our lives um, than it has in the past, or than at least appeared to in the past. Um, and so even if something is like biology, that still doesn't tell us how we're going to live. We still have to decide as a society which constructs we're going to live with, you know, how we're going to organize our society, what, what constructs allow us to live together in a way that more or less kind of works. And of course, you know, us being uh, conflict theorists, <laughs> we will say there's always going to be a certain amount of conflict and the big one being class conflict. But I think generally when we live in these kinds of pluralistic societies, we can come to some consent. We do all the time come to mm -hmm. a consensus that allows us to live together better. And one of the things that at least like have a sort of like um, a tenuous kind of um, situation we can carry on without erupting in violence constantly. Um, and John Bunch said, oh, this is just the um, this is just the the cycle of a moral panic. I think there's some truth to that, um, that there everybody's panicking across the political spectrum. There's bigging up, bigging up the threat. Right. The right is just bigging up the threat. They want to transgender kids. And then, you know, and, and the left is also bigging up the threat. Like there's going to be a genocide. And the right is saying there's going to be a white genocide. And everybody's just fucking crazy. Um, uh, and I think, yeah, this is and I, I, I've seen this because obviously this is what I study, moral panics. And so on. I've been teaching about it for years and you can see when things kind of calm down a bit, it's like we wake up from a nightmare and we're kind of able to see a little bit more clearly. Um, and I've been kind of waiting for that moment when we can speak clearly about things uh, without trying to make each other disappear in some way or make each other's lives as fucking impossible as 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 possible. And this, I, it's interesting because it's I always say it takes about ten years for a more for a moral panic to run its course. Really, if you think about the satanic panic, that took about a decade to kind of really run its course where people could speak a bit more clearly because it, it was for a little while a bit, yeah, there was a lot of opposition. There was always opposition the whole way through. And most people were not convinced that there were like literally satanic people sacrificing babies, but it was able to make a huge amount of headway because like in polite society and in areas where people actually had control over policy, you had to believe the children, right? Are you saying that children are liars? This came from the mouths of babes, you know, it's like this kind of thing. And it, it became kind of personally risky. And then over time, you know, it became clearer and clearer that like we had to have some sane pathway through this because clearly there's no Satanist. And maybe that's a bad example. I mean, there are Satanists, but I mean, there's clearly no Satanic cult running the government, for instance. Right. <laughs> no, and they're not. And those Satanists that I've uh, heard about, I've never met a Satanist really, but that I've heard about are, are, are fairly ineffectual and, and uh, mostly law abiding. I think, listen, um, we're at an hour and seven minutes and uh, we should Whoa, go. Up. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we should go to uh, the Perry. Can't speak. Uh, we should go to the uh, Patreon to the parrot room in the Patreon um, for the second half. I will create a link to it and put it into the description of this video. And, um, in the comments, um, you'll be able to see the live stream on Patreon. Um, and then I'm linking the audio versions in the descriptions of the video streams. Um, I know that's not the best for some of the patrons cause it doesn't show up in the RSS feed. Uh, but it is a compromise between those who don't want to get four emails a day and, uh, those who want to be able to hear it on audio. Uh, I will think about how to do this going forward, but that's what it will be for today. Thank you all for, for watching the first free half and uh, we'll see you over on Patreon in about oh, 15 minutes. Um, we'll start at 1030. Uh, so I'm going to hit the button wherever it is. Here it is. And see you on the other side. In the case of nuclear or radiological fallout, 